0: At the time, everything was just on the line, literally. Um, I maxed out every credit card that I had, took out small little loans here and there. We had clients who we would do work for, and they would put us off for months at a time. For a few weeks, we are like, okay, what are our bankruptcy options?
1: This is Finding Founders, a podcast showcasing the vibrant entrepreneurial spirit of Los Angeles and our journey to find the founders responsible. I'm Samuel Donner, and today we're talking to Ginny O, founder of Wander, spelled W-A-N-D-R, a product strategy and user interface design firm.
0: My name is Ginny O, and I'm the founder and CEO of Wander. I'm a world traveler, and I run my company completely remotely.
1: Post-corona, working remotely is the norm for many of us, but Ginny was doing it before it was cool and a public health necessity. Bitten by the travel bug in her teenage years, she dreamt of traveling the world while doing what she loved. She's achieved that dream. And while the firm is supposedly based in Los Angeles, according to its Google address, her employees work all over the world and Wander's headquarters land wherever the next flight takes Ginny. When trapped in any pocket of the world for too long, Ginny starts to get antsy. Luckily for us, coronavirus canceled all her travel plans, which appeared to give Ginny enough time between trips to sit down with me and talk about Wander. When I met with Ginny, she had temporarily set her bags down at her apartment in Los Angeles and was doing UX design with her team from around the world. But where in the world did Ginny start out? Let's take a trip to South Korea.
0: I was born in Korea and I lived there till I was six. My dad wanted to move out of Korea more so because of the work culture there. It's very different than in the U.S. or what you know most Westerners would be aware of. In Korea, you have to go out and drink and party with your coworkers almost every night. So he wanted to get away from that and he also wanted to provide my sister and I more of a worldly opportunity to study in North America. I ask my mom a lot now about what was happening. And she would say, your dad actually just came home one day and said he quit his job. And we didn't know what was going to happen. And he started applying for visas. And Canada was the first country to approve a visa. So uh, that's how we ended up there in Toronto.
1: Ginny gives two explanations for her father's move that seem to contradict each other. One detailed that her father wanted a better life for his family and didn't want to be subjected to Korea's intense work culture. But this seems to be a post-mortem rationalization. I think Ginny's mother expresses the reality of the situation. She said, Your dad just came home one day and said he quit his job. The family dynamic seems to be autocratic. And that family had no choice but to follow their leader's impetuous decision so with a dream and no contingency plan jenny and her family were uprooted and left for the other side of the world
2: so what did life in canada look like
0: yeah everything was pretty normal my parents were really good about protecting my sister and i from what was really happening financially I mean, we moved to a whole new country. We don't really have family or friends there. My dad didn't have a job and my mom didn't speak English. And so my parents did a really great job giving us normal childhood. But now reflecting back and asking a lot of questions to my parents about what was really happening, it seemed like they were financially struggling. To my sister and I, we just never had that knowledge of of what was really happening in our family.
2: So what occupied your time when you were in Canada?
0: Once a year or every other year, we would move. And every time we moved, we would buy like a fixer-upper and spend like a year or two just fixing up the house. We've done everything from carpeting to hardwood, painting, tiles, refurnishing and everything. So that was kind of like my weekend in my childhood times. (laughs) You remember going to IKEA like every weekend. My parents never wanted to hire contractors, so my dad always did it himself and I would just kind of be, you know, his handy little helper. Most kids spend their free time
1: swinging on monkey bars at the playground or building with Legos. Ginny, on the other hand, spent her free time building furniture from IKEA. This wasn't a typical childhood, but it sounds like Ginny made the most of that experience. Ginny's life was full of uncertainty, and setting up IKEA furniture became a constant ritual that provided some semblance of stability. With only the names of the latest IKEA furniture to add to the cultural conversation, Ginny found it hard to forge deep connections with her peers. It's hard enough to be the new kid once. But imagine if every year or so throughout your prepubescent and pubescent stages, you were forced to be the new kid. If every year you had to stand at the front of the classroom as a teacher you didn't know introduced you to a room of kids that didn't really care. If every year you heard the screeching of metal chairs against the marble floors as everyone's eyes turned to yours. Even worse, you look out to a crowd of faces that look nothing like yours. Peers who don't share your experiences. But by building her furniture, Jenny worked through her discomfort, finding refuge in her ability to shape at least some part of her own world. Her childhood play is indicative of her work style to come.
0: I've always grown up creative, so doing art, music, writing. I, I love to write, and so that was pretty much my outlet, is just being creative.
2: Mm-hmm. And I know that you were interested in doing fashion at some point. Yeah. So like, <laughs> like, like, how did that come about?
0: Um, I think when people use fashion, it's a way they express themselves. And so because I think I felt so alone, and I'm just kind of always known as the new kid, I wanted to stand out in a way... I wanted people to get to know who I was just from what I was portraying externally, which was through fashion. That was kind of my outlet, and I loved drawing, and so mixed the two together. I wanted to make my own clothes and then one day have my own fashion clothing line. I wanted to go to school for fashion. My parents were like, "Uh uh-uh. You are not going to an art school. Like, you're going to a regular university, get a business degree, and then if you want to study arts, you can pay for it yourself later. All my life, I always had to do what my parents told me to do, or I had to do what society expects of me in a way. I think there was a lot of this, like, bottled up emotion growing up.
1: Ginny yearned to express herself. She already stood out, but by utilizing her creativity, she could stand out on her own terms. By distinguishing herself through fashion, Ginny reclaimed her story. If a picture's worth a thousand words, an entire outfit must be enough to tell the tale of Ginny O. And fashion was just the start of her interest in design.
0: There was this website called Neopets. So I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like I take a screenshot of my Neopet, put it into paint and then just like design out what my Neopet would look like. And then shortly after, MySpace came around, and that's when you can customize your profile page. So I was like, oh, cool. So I would steal someone's custom template, and then I would try to customize the colors and make it my own. And so that's where I picked up like a little bit of HTML CSS as well. It was just like gradual learning of both graphic design and website building.
1: Ginny found some pretense of freedom by dabbling in creative pursuits, but she still felt that her wings were being clipped by her parents, by kids at school, by living in Canada. These feelings bubbled up inside her until one day she finally broke free of her cage.
0: When I was 15 going on 16, I went to the summer abroad program in Cozumel, Mexico. I'm there for a whole summer with other teenagers. You know, you're you're there with 30, 40 other teenagers, no parents. Um, You have classes in the morning, but that's about it. And you're just kind of let loose in the afternoon. So it's pretty much a party every night for a whole summer. And I think that was kind of my initial outlet as a teen just that feeling of wow for the first time in my life i actually have control i have control of what i want to do and i have this independence and at that moment just feeling a total freedom from reality like that wasn't that summer was not reality and so when i had that moment i was like this is the high this is the feeling that i want to get for the rest of my life and anything less than that is in passing but not really like the way that i want to live between the age of 16 and the time that I left college, I think I had a lot of nostalgia for that summer because it was going back to school and just a lot of grinding, like long, long hours um, to make sure my grades were up and just feeling really miserable. I'm like, why, why am I going through this? I know what happiness feels like and this does not feel like happiness.
1: Jenny had experienced independence. She reveled in the control she felt over her life, but this life she had control over was absolutely alien to her. Her parents had meticulously shaped every moment of her life, from her free time to what she could study, so this new life felt like a fantasy. It wasn't real because she could shape it. She describes her time spent traveling the globe as removed from reality, which she associates with being homebound and static. She lives to abandon what is prescribed existence. But soon enough, she was confronted with control and forced to surrender her autonomy. She had to go to college.
0: My experiences at UNC was really interesting. I didn't know what I wanted at that time, and I felt almost a little defeated to be honest. Chapel Hill was my backup school and that's where I ended up going. So I went in with not the best attitude. I just kind of went in thinking like, oh, like I am I have to go here because this is what my parents want. So I went in confused with a bad attitude. I was partying a lot. I was joining a lot of uh, social groups that, in hindsight, I honestly should not have joined. I just did it because it felt like that's why every college student were supposed to do. So for example, joining a sorority when I wasn't ready to do so. I didn't go to class. If I did go to class, I slept through all of it. I spent my first year just trying to figure out what I really wanted to do with my life after college. But there were a lot of bad decisions that I felt I took to the extreme and it ultimately led me to dropping out of school. It was a lot of buildup. It was feeling less than perfect in every aspect of my life. My grades had fallen. I just wasn't happy. I didn't know who I was, and it just felt like everything that I tried to do would go south. Then I I do recall, and I don't know why it's so vivid, um, I just remembered like crouching down in my Sortie house kitchen just wanting to cry. Like, I was just so upset and so angered and hurt by everything that was happening. And yet, I could not force myself to cry or force myself to feel anything at all. And I guess in that moment, I knew that I was was depressed.
1: Ginny couldn't bear the reality of her UNC experience. She tried to take the beaten path to conform to her surroundings but even while trying to fit in Ginny still stood out. She was ostracized. Depression creeping up inside. Ginny left it all behind.
2: What was it like going back to your parents? Like did you feel like you could talk to them about any of this or
0: No, not at all. I I don't think they really knew that I was going through depression. Back then, I didn't think my parents really knew what was happening. Like I just said I'm not happy with school. I want to I just want to be home and Find my north star again. Mm-hmm.
2: So, when you came home, what did you do?
0: <laughs> I bummed around a lot for for weeks at first. Yeah. <laughs> I just slept and ate, and um, but eventually, I kind of broke out of that and um, just going back online, like you know, going back to what I love to do, which was discover something online and try to figure out like. How to replicate it or how to do something of my own and so I had a lot of like college books um, that I no longer needed anymore and so um, I discovered eBay and I was like oh this is kind of cool I can sell all my old shit and like make a little bit of money on it and so I sold all my textbooks and I was like ah this is actually decent money and then I started going through my closet seeing what else I can sell
2: what was it about that feeling that made you want to do it
0: more for sure I think it was purpose no I just I just came home. I don't have classes. I don't have anything to do. So for me to make a little bit of money, that gave me some sort of purpose in life and kind of distracted me from my depression.
1: Ginny isn't the type of person to wallow in her own misfortune. She wasn't going to let depression hold her back. She needed to keep moving forward. And to do that, she needed to build something new. She had already moved from Ikea to Neopets, and the next stop was online retail.
0: I had this nifty trick where I would go to outlet malls when it was just like season sales and find things that were just 75% off, um, would buy those in bulk and then mark it up. Um, like, for example, coach handbags, like I would buy them for, I don't know, $25 to $50 and then sell it online for two 300 So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and dumpster diving oh that was the other thing at the end of every semester i would go to like senior college dorms because all the seniors are graduating they don't care about their books so they would just put it like by where the dumpsters are and these are brand new books and i would just grab them by the bulk and then put it all up on ebay and and amazon (laughs) For a college student, it was it was decent, yeah.
2: But you did kind of start a business out of nothing. Was yeah. that your first like foray into entrepreneurship?
0: I guess so. Yeah.
2: Did you realize that?
0: No, I again, I think it was just for me, it was like a hobby or like a part-time job. I didn't think it was like a, a real business because I always felt like for it to be a real business, I need to have like a business certificate or I need to have an official website, and I didn't. It was just me selling stuff online.
1: Ginny was willing to literally start her business in the dumpster Scavenging outside of dorms for college kids' leftover textbooks For Ginny, that's an adventure While her first attempt at college didn't live up to the best years of your life cliché She, in typical Ginny fashion, was able to spin her disappointing experience into a business venture But notice what she says here she mentions that it didn't feel like a real business. It seems like all the good in Ginny's life doesn't feel real to her. And I think part of that is because she didn't feel that she deserved that good. Sometimes it's hard to convince yourself that you are worthy of love, affection, and happiness, but with enough practice, you can develop that empathy for yourself. I think that empathy started to develop as she finished up her undergraduate degree at UNC and approached her master's the Ginny way. master's abroad
0: again i was lost and confused and i thought i just wanted to to have higher education it's like okay i finished my bachelor what next i still don't know what i want to do with my life so maybe having another degree and going to a different school is going to give me more purpose in life and I found one that was really perfect for me. It was called Masters of Global Entrepreneurship, which is a dual degree program by Purdue University and a business school in France. What was that like? So it was a program with 29 other students from all over the world. So there was a couple countries where I've like, is that a country? I've never, I've never even heard of, of that place before. So uh, a lot of diversity. Yeah, it was just more so absorbing a lot of yeah global experiences of. Um, every weekend it's almost like we're going to a different country it was just like our time to really explore the world Um, and those 29 other students they've essentially become family because you're living with them and you're traveling with them you're going to school with them so you're kind of stuck and it almost felt like we were living in this like reality show world in a way. So
2: with this reality show (laughs) uh, (laughs) what, what, what did you learn about yourself?
0: Yeah, I learned a lot about myself and I also realized it was almost as if I wanted to live all these experiences for people to be in awe. Like it was like my outlet. Again, like remember when I said with fashion, I wanted people to see me um, because I felt so invisible in a way. With, you know, Instagram growing into popularity, it was just kind of like, oh, look at all my travel experiences. Look at my life. Look how great I am. It was that chip on my shoulders at that period of my life.
1: Ginny describes her masters abroad as a reality show, and it's this subtle comparison that again references her reluctance to accept and embrace the good in her life. Ginny was unsure of the direction she wanted to take her career. She searched for direction, turning to exploration and travel to escape the uncertainty she felt in her real life. Traveling was her escape from reality, a place where she could be somebody, yet nobody. Traveling was her mental solace. It allowed her to patch up the painful memories of her past. She labored under the insecurities wrought from childhood scars and reveled at the chance to be in the limelight, to be the object of people's envy. Her carefree facade in a picture-perfect lifestyle hid a hurting and insecure girl underneath. But Jenny started making moves in her fantasy land and started to build something real.
0: I was still at UNC. There were a couple like pitch competitions that were happening. And that was the first time I've ever heard about pitch competitions and like startup. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. I want to enter, but I have like no idea what I want to enter. So I started doing some research. And I was like, oh, you know, what would be really cool is if we can digitalize our receipts. And so that was the first time I've ever had this idea of creating a mobile application for digital receipt was in college. Um, And then when I was in grad school, I started doing more research around it to see if there's a viable market and started building my thesis around that and started building a prototype too. It's funny, I like went to a dev shop. Little did I know that this is the field that I was going to go into, but I must have been like 19 or 20 years old when I first went into a dev shop, like super serious with, you know, like four or $5,000 in my pocket. And I'm like, hey guys, I have this amazing idea and it'd be great if I can, you know, get your help on it. And they like slapped me with a bill that was like $50,000. And I'm like, (laughs) what the fuck? And so that's how I actually got into UI, UX and product design was because I couldn't afford that. So I was like, you know what? I don't need your help. I'm going to go do it on my own. That's kind of the initial path to where I am today. <laughs> An amazingly talented engineer while I was in China, he's we met and he's just like, I love your idea. I want to help you with it. So we started working together and uh, we were working remotely then. And a lot of things had happened since we started working together. So from China, I went to Purdue, I graduated, and then I went back to China to fundraise and to network and to build out this prototype because that was where I saw a lot of opportunity and where I wanted to launch my product. So a lot of things happened. When I went back, I was on my tourist visa, so that expired. I couldn't raise money, and unfortunately... Why do
2: you think you couldn't raise money?
0: Inexperience. I didn't know how to raise money at the time.
2: What were you doing?
0: (laughs) It was just just trying to meet as many people as possible and pitching them my idea. And I think I was just one of those founders who are kind of disconnected from from reality in a way. I didn't know any better, you know i was I was twenty one i didn't I didn't know how to raise money. I didn't know how to talk to people to give me money for my startup. I was talking to everybody. I was talking to expats. I was talking to my Chinese friends to help me get connected to the Chinese government. So anyone who was willing to listen, I was talking to. The Zhejiang province, which is where Hangzhou is, uh, they had like an incubator program and they wanted to actually give, a, give me money. But what ended up happening was they said, well, you're a foreigner and this is a government-funded program. You need to find a Chinese co-founder. So I felt very demoralized. And when you're, you know, when you're 21, you're just like, this is all mine. I don't want to give it up, like for what? But when I look back at it, I was just, I'm thinking like, yeah, why wouldn't I give up 51% of my company to get funded for for the startup that I didn't even have? That's when things started falling apart and I said, you know what? This is a sign I'm I'm fighting against the grain again and I just need to let it go.
2: Was that hard letting it go?
0: I think I do have this tendency of like holding on to things really dearly and then have a very easy time letting go and I think it all relates back to my childhood of you know having to make new friends and move into a new house and even though like I didn't want to move like I had to like let that let that go so I've learned over time when I catch something like I'll hold it near and dear to my heart but then when it is time for me to just release I don't look back. I think that was the first time where I started to feel that spark again. It was that feeling of freedom again, like, okay, I'm doing something that I want to do and not what my parents want to do or what society tells me I should be doing.
1: Ginny had her first taste of entrepreneurship. From that first taste, her interest was piqued. She saw the path you could build, the path that would allow her to turn a mere idea into a tangible business. Young, hopeful, and ambitious, Ginny ventured into the world of entrepreneurship with naivete, not knowing the harsh realities that awaited her. Experiencing her first failure, she realized a business required more than a bright idea. She had failed to raise money. And the reason she cites for this failure? A disconnect from reality. Moving back to L.A., Jenny did not let failure dissuade her from pursuing an entrepreneurial career. Instead, she embraced it and began journeying into new facets of entrepreneurship.
0: I came to L.A., Um, shortly after my ex-boyfriend actually so he and I we started dating while I was in grad school and he had a home here in LA and he knew that like when I was closing down what I was doing that I would just move back to my parents place in North Carolina and he said you know I know you're gonna go crazy if you move back home with your parents why don't you spend a couple weeks here in LA so I came for a visit and I just never left to be honest the first handful of months I was back to this like bumming around not doing anything and feeling like a piece of shit to be honest because I'm living off my ex-boyfriend and again not having a purpose I wasn't making money I you know wasn't cooking or cleaning so I had like no purpose I it was just doing nothing at all and so that led me to my next phase my next chapter in life which was freelancing So I had recalled him hiring a bunch of overseas contractors online on this platform called Odesk. One day I was like out of boredom, wanted to go check out uh, what it was about. So I went online and I was like, oh, you can sell pretty much any professional service here as long as it can be done online. And so, you know, my two nifty little skills was building up WordPress websites and um, content writing. So I built up a profile on Odesk, and that's how I got started on my freelancing journey.
1: Throwing caution to the wind, she took a leap of faith pursuing her UI UX business wholeheartedly. (laughs)
0: One day, someone wanted to create a a mobile application. And so I was like, oh, this is right up my alley. I've already went down this. Like, uh, I can help you produce your first prototype. And that was a lot of fun. So I started switching from applying for content, blog post gigs, to more of the UI UX jobs and started building up my uh, product portfolio from there. When I got to about like $30 to $40 per hour, I wanted to charge more, but I knew my skills were not up to par. So my plan then was to look for other UI UX designers who were much better than I was, but didn't charge as much. So I found a, a kid who is out in the Netherlands and I started working with him and he was amazing. And we made a really great team because I was doing the client management and he was producing the designs. So I was doing that for about a good year, just kind of casually before I started taking it more seriously and decided, you know what, like if I want to get the bigger clients, then this needs to be more official than just Jingy the UI UX designer. Like I wanted it to be a company. So June of 2016, finally incorporated it under the name of Wander. Uh,
2: At what point did you move out of the ex-boyfriend's apartment and why? Uh,
0: A year after. I think part of it was still feeling that dependency and wanting to to do things on my own. I was also ready to move on from that relationship. So that's why I moved out. Yeah, it was really scary. I didn't have steady income at all. So for me to go from living very comfortably to then like having to pay for rent and having to pay for my own food, like that was really scary. And I didn't know if I was even going to be able to stay in LA because I thought like financially, I should probably have to go back home. I guess the other part was I was also ready to move on from that relationship.
1: Just like Ginny, Wander began its life as a roaming company built on freelance gigs. But soon, the company picked up steam as more and more people sought her services. She was able to capitalize on this traction, expanding her company beyond herself. Staying true to her voyaging spirit, Ginny developed her business in a rather unconventional way. Rather than focus on building a single office in a stationary location, she hired freelance talent from all over the world.
0: Um, so, we have always been remote. Yeah, no, we don't have an office space. We've never had one. It's expensive to have an office space, and it's also very expensive to hire locally in California. Two, I love to travel the world, and I just didn't want to be held down to one location. Um, so, I wanted the freedom to go wherever. And also, I love meeting new people from around the world. So that international, global exposure and experience. So I've always wanted to keep that idea or keep that concept with my company as well. With a
1: completely remote setup, Wander gave her the freedom to explore and create from any location on the planet while bringing others along for the ride. Ginny had the best of both worlds. She had the freedom to travel the world while still running an incredibly successful business. However, behind the success, there existed problems.
0: Scaling a business, it's not just this one time financial struggle and then you're out of it. You're constantly in this loop of cash flow struggle. So, yeah, at the time, everything was just on the line. Literally, um, I maxed out every credit card that I had, um, took out small little loans here and there from friends and family. Yeah, just a way to scrape by to make sure that my people were were getting paid, that they didn't know what was happening behind the curtain. Um, So I kind of kept that to myself for a while and just kind of strung the business along that way for the first like five to seven months.
2: That's stressful. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, because you don't know when the next um, paycheck's going to come in. You know, we had clients who we would do work for and they would put us off for months at a time because we didn't know that you're supposed to collect before. So sometimes we would do like $50,000 of work and get no paycheck for months at a time or sometimes not at all.
1: Eventually, Jenny got the hang of growing her company and saw growth at an unprecedented rate. Soon, Ginny would have to make a tough decision. Would she continue to foster the growth of her company or sell it as she saw its market value steadily increase?
0: I think when I really got serious about the idea of selling it was when we were a little short of a million. because i you know i'm again i'm still i was still young at the time and i didn't know how to build a business i didn't know that you can sell a business so when i started hearing from other people that you can like build and sell and or get acquired and that's like a, a really notable thing to do um that just kind of became a bucket list of mine like okay great like now i want to do this because everybody else is doing it
2: did you attach any significance to that number
0: I think again it's more like legitimacy um like i think it was more the idea of being taken seriously that we're not just jenny plus team and um we're just this little agency it was i think the significance of that number was more so like hey like we're a we're a major player in this industry
1: Her company now worth a small fortune, Ginny was conflicted on what to do next. Externally, she faced pressure from her entrepreneurial peers to sell. She craved legitimacy in the eyes of others, harking back to her adolescent desire to stand out, to be accepted. Internally, she aspired to forge a company to reflect her values, staying true to her free spirit. She decided not to sell and keep growing her business. But as the business grew, more challenges reared their heads.
0: So exactly a year ago, like, we're pretty scared. Myself, my um, head of operations and head of strategy, the three of us were the only ones who really knew what was happening in the business. For a few weeks, we were like, okay, what are, what are our bankruptcy options? And I, In my head, I'm just thinking like, You know, things are going to be okay. Like, I don't know why I think this. And maybe it is because I'm crazy or because I'm (laughs) desensitized. I don't know. But I know we're going to get out of it.
2: So how did you get out of that?
0: So just consistently doing what I was doing, um, trying to close more sales, doing a lot of networking, um, going to a lot of conferences um, that following quarter. So I think that's kind of what what brought us back up. And we had one of the highest quarters in terms of our sales, um, Q2, Q3 following that, that hurdle. Yeah. The ebbs and flows. I think you go through that ebb and flow in every, um, in whatever kind of entrepreneurship you are. Yeah. It's just, it's only natural.
1: After years of dependency, Ginny had grown into a self-reliant entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is a cycle of ebb and flow and Wander successfully weathered the low tides. However, Ginny began to feel her passion ebb, even as her business opportunities grew. She realized that it was time to reassess her life.
0: Around like February, 2018, I was really unhappy again. And again, this was the third time I've ever gone through depression in my life. But this time, externally, it felt like I had everything in my life going really well for me. You know, business is growing. You know, I have a boyfriend. I've got a nice apartment. Like I've had like all these like ex- external things that people would think would make me happy, and yet I I recognized that depression feeling, and I wanted to create some change in my life, and so I started looking at different aspects of my life that wasn't necessarily adding value to me, and instead of trying to seek what other people would think is happiness and what other people wanted I started to reflect it back on myself and started looking at what actually makes me happy so going from this like flashy like look at me look at my life to where do I start to actually find true lasting happiness and I realized well this relationship is not a good fit for me and so that was really difficult because I had known him for you know six years of my life and he was someone that was very close to me um, but I knew that we were not a good fit. So ending that relationship. So that was the first step and, um, felt, okay, well, a little weight is off my shoulders. What else can I do to change my life? And I felt like LA was also holding me down quite a lot because my heart was wanting to travel all over the world. And yet I felt like I was being held back in a way. So I decided, let me leave LA temporarily or maybe permanently. I don't know. Let me just leave. So I threw out all, almost all my belongings, downsizing it to two suitcases. And then it was starting to let go of like responsibilities within Wander as well. Like I'm a huge perfectionist. And so I always felt like I needed to do the job because my teammates cannot do it the way that I can. And I started to like let go of that like okay it's okay if it's not perfect as long as it's done and as long as their intentions are good like it's fine I can like hand that off to my team I started to have a mindset shift I stopped drinking like there was just all these little changes and it wasn't like I woke up one day and I said I'm gonna do all of these different changes it was just very gradual mm-hmm. um, like what else can I do like oh I accomplished this so then what else can I do
2: do you like where you are now yes why
0: um, I am such a different person than who I was a year ago and who I was growing up. I am really happy, like actually happy from inside out and not happy like putting on a fake smile, which I think I did a lot. And a lot of people would say... Ginny, you're actually quite an enigma. Like you're smiling and you're telling me something, but you're very hard to read. And I didn't understand that cuz I always thought like, oh, I'm an open book. I'll tell you anything. But through this personal development and through my discovery, I did realize that I have a very hard time being vulnerable and I have a hard time like opening up to people because of all the years of, you know, being bullied and being hurt and going through depression. I I kind of kept everything inside and only showed people externally of who I was and what my life was about rather than like sharing what was really going on inside of Jenny's world. Once I started unraveling that and working through that, like I started to find true happiness and confidence. That's the other thing. Yeah. Right. I I live my best life because I was able to work through um, all the internal issues that I've been battling since I was a kid.
1: This vulnerability was actually good. It allowed her to face the internal demons that had been swimming below the surface since childhood. Making gradual changes to her life, Ginny found an internal peace that overshadowed the veneer of happiness she had previously derived from materialistic pleasures. As cliche as it sounds, she realized that while money can buy cozy apartments, happiness has no price tag. Mental health rejuvenated, Ginny knew it was time to refocus her energy into furthering her company.
0: wander is just kind of this medium for me to express. I know that my purpose in life is to create impact, whether that's an immediate impact with my team, my friends, my family and my clients or um, inspire other people to live their best life to for them to find their happiness and their true sense. Um, So whatever I do every day is about creating some kind of positive impact.
1: The future of Wander is opaque at best, but Ginny's purpose is becoming more and more clear. With that, she has some advice for us, the people listening to this podcast.
0: Yeah, go for it. Like the way that I've learned and how I've become an entrepreneur is literally just kind of going and doing it and getting dirty with it and then figuring it out. You know, you don't have to make everything perfect. And I use this expression like throwing a bunch of pasta and seeing what sticks on the wall. And it's true, you just gotta experiment as much as possible, like don't hesitate about what mistakes you're going to make or, or doing it the right way. Just the fact that you're doing it is going to create momentum for you to be somewhere.
1: Growing up in an Asian immigrant household bound by expectations, Ginny warred with her desire to please her parents and pursue what she actually really wanted. In her youth, Ginny moved constantly. This constant motion combined with her minority race status left her feeling like an outsider. However, rather than adapt to her surroundings, Ginny aspired to stand out. She allowed her creativity to flow through her fashion, through the arts. Ginny became supremely comfortable with discomfort, finding relief from her everyday life in her explorations of the unknown. Traveling was her outlet, the key that unlocked her door to her internal desires. She worked, she traveled, and she explored. Many people would not dare to dream of merging pleasure with work, but Ginny has defied convention, and Taylor made a revolutionary company structure that does just that. Wander has melded her passion for both travel and design, and never one to allow expectation to restrict her, Ginny seized onto her passions and pushed them forward. She refused to let judgment slow her down. A free spirit, she was not afraid to stray from her comfort zone in her entrepreneurial pursuits. She wandered and she dreamed, unapologetically following her passions and taking each challenge in stride. She is a wanderer, and no obstacle or expectation can change that.